It is that season in the life of the church, commit season. And so we are in the midst of our commit sermon series, an attitude of gratitude. And we continue that series this week, this Sunday. Uh, we're going to turn to the story of Elijah and his experience with a widow from Zarephath. A bit of context before our scripture reading this morning. Uh, you know, not much is actually known about Elijah before he comes on the scene in 1 Kings, other than he's a Tishbite, which scholars aren't even sure what a Tishbite is. What we do know is Elijah is called and sent by God to go to King Ahab and to prophesy that uh, King Ahab's worship and his building of a temple to the God of Baal, the God of rain, is not acceptable. And that years of drought are forthcoming. Drought so severe, and I quote, not even dew will form. Let's just say King Ahab didn't welcome this news from Elijah and runs him right out of town. And Elijah, which is literally translated in the Hebrew, my God is Yahweh, is told by Yahweh to go and hide out down by a brook and ravens will drop food to him each day. Thus is the glamorous life of a prophet. The brook dries up as Elijah prophesied that it would, and Elijah is now in need of a new place to live, and he's in need of food. And listen to what happens next. Then the word of the Lord came to him, that's Elijah, saying, Go now to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and live there, for I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he set out and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the town, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, uh, Bring me a little water and a vessel so that I might drink. As she was going to bring it. He called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. But she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm now gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterwards make something for yourself and your son. But thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of meal will not be emptied and the jug of oil will not fail until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went and did as Elijah said, so that she as well as he and her household ate for many days. The jar of meal was not emptied, neither did the jug of oil fail according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. No one had less to give than the widow of Zarephath. We aren't even given her name. She's known only by her pain and her affliction, her sacred wound, which is often the case in the scriptures. Widows in the ancient Near East were among the most vulnerable, living on the margins without safety, without money, and certainly no power, and very little hope. 
That's exactly where the widow from Zarephath is in our passage this morning. In fact, uh, she's beyond hopelessness when Elijah arrives. She's picking up sticks to make a fire so that she can take the last little bit of her food and make her final meal for she and her son. And then they're going to go and die. She thinks her life is over. There's no way to go on. There certainly is no way forward. All there is left to do is to make a final supper out of the little food that's left. And Elijah, who's been fed by ravens of all things, asks her to feed him. And this widow, this woman at the end of her rope, with only enough food to make one final meal, she agrees to take the little bit that she has. Actually, not just the little, the last. And she feeds Elijah with it. And the widow of Zarephath then becomes perhaps the most outrageous and courageous biblical exemplar of hospitality. Today, uh, in modern times, we think of hospitality more as entertaining guests. You know, sharing a bit of what we have with invited friends. Hospitality has become a, much more of a social nicety that is optional and often uh, outsourced, you know, to the hospitality industry. But in the ancient world, Hospitality is literally a matter of life and death, uh, a sacred duty that every household is bound to fulfill. Within the Bible, there are dozens of references, direct and indirect, to the cultural mandate to offer food and shelter and protection to the sojourner and the widow, the orphan and the immigrant. The widow in our text should be offered protection in our passage today. But the passage reveals just how fragile being a widow really was. Elijah is a sojourner, and his needs take precedent over the widow's needs. And yet the widow of Zarephath fulfills the challenge to be hospitable in the most radical way possible. Friends, it would be near impossible to listen to this story this morning and not hear scarcity and lack. The whole story is set up that way. But the subtext of this lesson is that there is another way, not only to hear this story, but to see it and to live it in the world. The widow at Zarephath has the least to give, and yet she looks upon what she has, and she uses it to feed Elijah, which begs the question, how does she do that? I think it's because she has the great gift of not being owned by what she has, but rather, she owns what she has. I think it's the only way she gives that final meal to Elijah. Uh, Elijah. She makes Elijah a meal, and she didn't know it. But by the power of God, that jar of meal would never run out. Uh, new life in the face of death. 
No one had less to give, and yet she gave not knowing the jar would never run out. But she gave because she understood that she owned that jar of meal. It didn't own her. Friends, how often are we possessed by our possessions? I mean, how often are we owned by what we own? It's true for all of us. It's why we have a hard time uh, letting go of what we have, not because uh, we possess it, but because often our possessions possess us. I think it's uh, why Jesus always calls us not to the Old Testament standard of tithing, but to radical generosity. Because when we seek to live out of radical generosity in our lives, it forces us to reorient how we view our lives and what we have. In the modern world, we are taught that our value is in what we produce and what we achieve, that that's the source of our identity. But the spiritual path says there's another way to understand your life. Your identity is rooted in God, and you live out of that identity. And you do that in how you care for those you love, how you care for your neighbor, and how you care for the least among you. It's one of the reasons I really look forward to commit season every year. Because commit season reorients my life to the deeper identity found in God. Commit season every year beckons our family to reevaluate what we most value and to get clear that we aren't called to be possessed by our possessions. And let's be honest. We all need to be reoriented to this good news each year, probably more than once a year. If you've never participated and made a commitment to the church, I want to invite you into the life-giving path of generosity this year. I want to invite you into uh, seeing your life in a different way. I want to invite you uh, into the path of reorienting your life and understanding what we have as an opportunity to do good and to care and to restore the world rather than merely being possessed by our possessions. That's the invitation, my dear friends, for all of us. And when we seek to live that path, we can do more good in the world than we could ever imagine. In 2010, a group of friends and I ran a blog. Remember blogs? And as part of the blog, we invited people to take something on during the season of Lent rather than giving something up. And so we invited people who read our blog to join us in giving to a water project through the organization Charity Water. Charity Water is a not-for-profit whose goal is to provide clean, safe drinking water to every person on the planet. Big goal. During the season of Lent, we invited people to give time to learn about the global water crisis, to pray for communities around the world who suffered because of unclean water, and 
to give sacrificially to the well project that we signed up for through Charity Water. We needed to raise $5,500 to ensure the well could be dug and installed and maintained in Ethiopia. And we were blown away by the outpouring of support and generosity from our individual networks. We had children who emptied their piggy banks and made donations through their parents. We had a Sunday school class who took up an offering and they gave us over $250. We had individuals who gave the money who, that they would have spent at a coffee shop that week and they invested it in the well project. But the week before our campaign ended, we were $800 short of our goal. And we wondered if we were going to make it. We were running out of time. And so we had a conference call. We had a conference call to discuss what we would do if we didn't make our goal and if there were people we could ask. And we decided, no, we're just going to let it go. And two days before the deadline, in the middle of the night, we received an $850 donation from an anonymous donor. We awoke to that good news and we celebrated and we sent emails to everyone who donated. We were ecstatic. A community in Ethiopia would receive clean and safe drinking water for a generation. Quite literally, that little community would receive new life. But I have to tell you, I couldn't help but wonder who gave that anonymous gift? Several months went by and I received a phone call from a friend in my hometown of Aiken, South Carolina. He said, did you ever learn uh, who gave that $850 donation for the water project? I said, no, I never heard. I guess they really wanted to stay anonymous. And he said, well, I know who gave it and you'll never guess who it was. And I was dying to know and I said, who was it? Just tell me. He said it was Matt Reichel. I paused and I said, I, I don't think you have that right. I said that because Matt Reichel was 16 years old. He was a kid in the youth group at my home church. And the person on the phone said, no, I'm sure it was him. He gave that final $850 gift for the water project. I said, where did he get $850 from? And my friend on the phone said, well, you know Matt has that summer job. He works every day. And he saves almost everything that he makes. And he was following the water project and he couldn't think of a better way to spend his money. And so he gave the final $850. I couldn't believe it. When you think about it, no one had less to give. A 16-year-old kid who worked a summer job and saved everything? I want to talk about someone who owned what they had and wasn't possessed by it. Oh, I think Matt Reichel came to know what the widow at Zarephath came to know. 
when we live out of an attitude of gratitude, when we seek to live out of outrageous generosity, there is new life to be found. My dear friends, what was true for them is true for us. May we seek to live out of our true identity found in God. May we seek to live with outrageous generosity. May we seek to do good in the world. May we seek to be vessels of God's grace and love and mercy. May we live out, and live out of an attitude of gratitude this day and all of our days. May it be so. Amen. Family of Faith, please join me in the affirmation of faith printed on your screen. As the Apostle Paul writes, we affirm that we will let 